Hey guys, ooh, ooh. adventures. It's good to see you all, and uh, thanks for making us a part of your week. My name is Derek, and uh, if we haven't met, I'm the campus pastor for RUF, going into my 12th year here. You're lovely. Why aren't you excited about that? <laughs> hey, uh, not always easy being here, but you make it worth it. I'm serious. That's why I keep coming back. So, uh, yeah, you've already met Callie. As any was introduced earlier, we as staff are here for you. That's why we're here. Literally, we're here for you. And so if you feel like, hey, I could maybe use the, uh, the ear and wisdom and care of someone a little older and wiser, I have a bunch of questions. I just want someone to talk to. That's why we're here. And uh, so... Please know that you are not intruding upon us. We would love to meet with you and talk with you. Uh, Our hope in RUF is that we would be a place where you, whoever you are, uh, would be able to come and hear the good news of Jesus and grow your understanding of it and rest in it and be changed by it. And uh, that means we expect there to be all kinds of different people on the faith spectrum here. Uh, But one of the ways in which we do this every week is we study God's words. And uh, this semester, we're looking at the book of Philippians. I'm excited about this. It's one of my favorite little letters. It's a love letter from uh, Paul to a church that he really adores. You'll, that leaps off the page. We'll re- see that uh, right away today. And uh, as we study this text, you will note pretty quickly that Philippians is a book that makes it really clear that connection to Jesus changes. That it changes how you relate to the world how you relate to your circumstances, how you relate to adversity and uncertainty, how you relate to community, how you relate to service, how you relate to work, how you relate to your worries, how you relate to money. In other words, Philippians makes it clear that connection to Jesus changes you. It changes you. And we'll we'll begin to see that uh, right off the bat here in the first eight verses. I'll read that. And then we'll uh, pray and jump in. Philippians 1, 1 to 8. Paul, writing to these people he loves, writes, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. All right, I'm going to pray. Feel free to join me. Father, we ask you be kind to show us wonderful things in uh, your law, uh, the good news of Jesus, and press it into reality in our hearts. Would it bear fruit there for our good and for the good of those around us? And we ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Uh, there's a movie that came out in 2007 called Charlie Bartlett. Has anyone seen Charlie Bartlett except for me? That's what I thought. Uh, anyway, it's a good flick. It's not a great flick. It's a good flick. Stars uh, a now deceased young actor and uh, Robert Downey Jr. Uh, Charlie Bartlett is a 17 year old precocious 
high school kid that's being kicked out of every private school in his area and finds himself in a daunting new situation that is the local public school for the first time in his life. And he wrestles there to find a home and where he belongs and who his people are. And he ends up finding it in the men's room as the school's de facto psychiatrist. He holds office. He listens. He even administers meds like Ritalin and Prozac. You see, he's seeing like five different counselors himself, and he doesn't take any of them. So he just gives them to other people. And uh, quickly, his popularity soars as a result of his administration of this help. Uh, but one day he learns that a deeply depressed guy named Kip has intentionally overdosed on Charlie's prescription. And after Charlie visits with Kip, he then lets it be known to the school that he is done dispensing with the meds, but he will still meet for his regular office hours if they're interested. And the next day when he enters school, he's a little surprised, but really excited to see a long line formed outside the men's room because everyone wants to talk to Charlie because Charlie listens and Charlie asks good questions and Charlie gives good advice. And Charlie basically throughout the movie finds that everyone in this school is just longing for someone to listen and, uh, and to connect with. That's true of the beautiful girl on the cheer squad who confesses that she has slept with the whole football team. And he's like, the whole team? She's like, no, just the backfield. Um, but that she's deeply hurt that she's never been on a date. Like, none of these people care about her at all. And uh, it's true of Kip, who doesn't have a single friend. It's true of the anxious mess of a principal, played by Robert Downey Jr. And it's true even of himself. And I don't know about you, but I can easily imagine like my 17-year-old self saying, maybe I should stand on that line too. I could probably use someone willing to talk to me and listen to me, someone who cares. Because the, the reality is we all suffer at times from a lack of meaningful connection. Maybe it's not all the time, but there are times where we all suffer from a lack of meaningful connection because God created us for it. He created us for meaningful connection with others. And without it, we fall apart. And uh, innately, we know this. Innately, all of us know this. That's why there's been so much social effort put into the last two and a half weeks. It explains so much of the social behavior that we've witnessed right here in the last few weeks. No one wants to be left out alone. The good news here in our text is this. It's that there is a connection, a connection to Jesus that changes everything. It changes everything. That makes a life of joy possible. So tonight we're going to talk about that in three headings. How a connection to Jesus gives you a new status, an enhanced security, and a remarkable society. So uh, th this letter starts off, uh, I think, it's pretty amazing, and you probably read right through it. It's not a big deal to you. But this admission of a shocking new status, he, he's writing to the Philippians whom he loves, and he, he titles this, To All the Saints in Christ Jesus. Now, if you grew up in the church, you might be thinking, oh, that's no big deal. It calls everybody that. But look, these aren't old dead nuns. They didn't perform any miracles. They're still alive. These are just regular people in Philippi. And Paul calls them saints because they've been made right by God. This is the shocking new status that they and we have. They're just normal, imperfect folks 
like you and me. There's no perfect people here or in here except for Jesus. And yet God considers these people holy, right, righteous. And the question is how? And Paul will tell us exactly how later, but he gives a little hint here to all the saints in Christ Jesus. It's by virtue of their relationship to Jesus. This little phrase, and you'll read right through it, 16 times in this book, actually, in Christ Jesus, is saying more than you realize. Paul is talking about a vital connection that exists between those who trust in Jesus and himself. You're not just trusting in an object. When you trust in Jesus, you're being vitally connected to him. So much so that the Bible will say, when you trust in Jesus, he suffered in your place. He bore your guilt. You get his righteousness. You get his benefits. His status becomes our status. And this connection and this uh, status of saints, it's ours if we're Christians, if we trust in Jesus. And it's all a gift. All this comes by grace. Paul points this out in verse 7. He says, you all, all you saints, you're partakers with me of grace. Listen, you don't earn this status. Here at school, you'll be trying to earn all kinds of statuses. But the status that matters here, what God thinks about you, it's not earned. Not by you, at least. It's earned by Jesus' performance. You, you partake of it. That's what he says here. You're partakers of grace. In other words, you receive a great gift. A great gift that Jesus has earned for you. And uh, he's earned this status. And he gladly shares it with his people. And I have an illustration that I think will help you understand this. I've known Callie for nine years, eight or nine years, and Callie means the world to me. She's been a wonderful help and a good friend. I got to marry her and her husband off. She's scared right now because she has no idea what I'm about to say. <laughs> I can see it in her eyes. I can see it. I can feel it, actually, from 10 feet away. Uh, so, but for the first time in the entire time I've known her, uh, this week, I wished I was Callie. This is what I mean. <laughs> We are very, very different people, okay? She will tell you all about it. Um, so on Monday during Labor Day, my wife, Luda, and our gaggle of children were on their way to Labor Day away. And you may not have known this. Either you didn't come or you just want to wear. And I got a call that our van had shredded a tire on, uh, on 376, which is a really bad place to shred a tire. So while I'm grilling burgers with an apron on and trying to welcome new people into this strange place out in the suburbs, I'm also trying to figure out how to change a tire on the highway. And at this moment... Uh, I'm thinking, if only I were Callie. If only I, like Callie, still had AAA. <laughs> because I dropped AAA. Because they kept mailing me way, 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 way too many reminders to renew my membership. And I'm spiteful by nature. <laughs> so I'm like, forget you. And uh, I wish I was like Callie. But here's the kicker, actually. Here's the cool thing. Uh, I didn't actually need to be Callie. Actually, all I needed to do was steal Callie's car. <laughs> Hang with me on this. See, Callie was nice enough to stop by my family's van and pick up some valuable things for the party, like all the hot dog buns. And some of my kids, too. And um, <laughs> if at that moment I had shown up and just stolen her car and abandoned her with my van, AAA would have come and fixed my van for free. True? Exactly. That's my point. If I had stolen her car and drove away and abandoned her with my van, they would have come and fixed my van. 
because, because her membership benefits are hers, not her cars. Those benefits go wherever Callie goes, and they're with whomever she rides with. Those are her benefits. And that means if you're with her, you have those benefits, right? It's beautiful. What's the point? Well, this is the way Jesus works. It really is. You don't have to be Callie, and you certainly don't have to be Jesus. You just have to be with Jesus. To have the benefits of all that he's done for you. You are made right by being with him. And you get called righteous, saint, beloved child. If you're a Christian, this is what the Father thinks of you. And that should make a huge difference in your life. I know it's hard because you think the next bio test is going to end your life. Or uh, your worth determined by what the people on your floor think of you. And I understand uh, that's a hard thing to work through. But friends, if you've trusted in Jesus, you have a new status. And I want you to carry it around. And I want you to treasure it. God the Father loves you deeply. And he calls you a saint and a child. Okay? So that's one of the lovely benefits that comes as a result of being connected to Jesus. And another one is enhanced security. Uh, we, we see this in verse 6. I love this. In verse 6, Paul says, I am sure of this. You get a confidence. I am sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying here is remarkable. He's saying, listen, other people may give up on you. You actually may give up on you. But if you belong to Jesus, he will never give up on you. Like he knows your mess. He knows it just as well or more than you do. And he is going to continue to plot along and work in you to make you beautiful like himself, no matter what. I love this because it, admit, it allows you to admit that you're a mess, that you're an unfinished work. You can be realistic about where you really are. It also allows you to be incredibly optimistic. I mean, really, you've had quite a while already to fix yourself, and you haven't done it yet. Neither have I. I can be optimistic because God has said he's going to do it. I can be optimistic because he's promised he's never going to give up on me. He's going to keep working on me. That's beautiful, friends. We have this enhanced security knowing that God's at work and his people and that Jesus loves us. I love this little phrase. Some of the language Paul uses here to describe his care for these people is so strong. It's a little embarrassing. It's, it's, I get to marry people every now and then and occasionally. I have like the best view, by the way. If you go to my wedding, it's amazing. Like no one even knows I'm there. Were you at the wedding? Yeah, I was presiding. I was the guy you're looking at the whole time. Well, no, they were looking at the couple. But I get the best view of the couple. Like, you see their backsides, you know, the back. I see their front. I see the faces. And sometimes, you know, as they're saying their vows, it's so emotional. that I'm like, I, I feel like I maybe need to like. <laughs> feel, this is really private and beautiful. I'm not sure I should be watching this. Uh, it's a privileged position. And some of the language Paul here is using is sort of like that long for you yearn i mean he deeply loves these people but he says in verse 8 that this is the affection of jesus he's describing his feeling for them as being the affection of jesus in other words this is the way jesus feels about his people this is the, this passionate affection this longing and yearning is the way god loves you and desires you the picture here is that jesus wants you and he's at work in you 
And friends, that's the ingredients for some remarkable security. Confidence that Jesus knows you well, loves you much, and will never give up on you. And that enables you to do something that, uh, to be honest, it's a little brash, it's a little bold, it's a little risky. I doubt many of your friends would really encourage you to do this, but I think it's healthy. I'm sure it's helpful. And that is, be real. Stop hiding. Stop, stop trying out. You may not know it, but for some of you, you've literally been trying out everything. I don't mean like trying new experiences. I mean like literally you've been going through life like your entire college experience so far is a tryout for like fitting in, finding the right group, finding the right people. And uh, maybe you've not really fully been you because you're trying really hard to get into that group or feel like you belong. And if you know Jesus loves you and is at work and will never let you go, you can be the real you, the absolute Real you. The real messy you that Jesus promises to never give up on. And it's that you, that real you, that Jesus wants to connect to himself and connect to his people. And that's the last thing we see. It's this remarkable society. We'll see a lot more of it later in the book, but we just get like a little snapshot right here in these first couple verses. So this is just a little tiny family picture. And one of the first things you might note about this remarkable uh, society is the author himself. Consider Paul. Maybe you don't know much about Paul. You know, he calls himself here a servant of Jesus. He's an apostle. He has incredible authority. And yet he considers himself a servant. That's, that's the kind of leader you want to follow, all right? Someone who has ultimate authority pretty much and is like, I'm your servant. Well, this guy killed someone or presided over it back in Acts. You may not know that or remember that. Uh, he's a person who's been remarkably changed. He has so much joy when he talks about these people that it leaps off the page. Reading about his joy for them sort of makes you joyful. It's one of those infectious, joyful people that, you know, I've never been like that a moment in my life. But he is, and he deeply loves them. And, and so what we have here is a little picture of a people that have been changed. They've been changed by Jesus, and they're committed to one another. You see this again in Paul. He's thankful for them. He prays for them all the time. He longs for them. He really wants them. And he wants what's best for them. And so what you have here is a, a community that shares a remarkable love and understanding and gratitude and care. And uh, I think almost all of us want to be part of a team or community like that. Maybe it's a small team. I just want a few people like that. Some of you want to be part of a big team like that. But the tricky thing is you don't get to be part of a team like that by aiming for those qualities. You almost never get that by just trying to get those qualities. Instead, what you get here is you, you get these qualities, these qualities, by being committed to the gospel. Paul makes it clear that they are all partners. They have a partnership in the gospel. This is true because they all partake of grace. They're all sharing a connection with Jesus. And they all have the same status and the same security. Jesus has got me, he's at work in me, so I can forget about myself all the time and serve and love others. And Jesus is at work in them producing love and care for one another. And, uh, you know, I, I certainly don't know all of you, but no doubt some of you here are like, yeah, I get it, man, but man, from what I can tell, Christian community is pretty boring. And some of you, for sure, I know, have had really bad experiences with Christian community, and uh, shouldn't be the case. But 
when you consider this picture, this remarkable community of love and care, I don't think you can call it boring. It's Jesus' remarkable society, and I think it's anything but boring, especially if you think about what the alternative is and what the stakes are. And I have an illustration that might prove helpful, although it's ridiculous. So, um, around the same time that Robin Downey Jr. was playing a high school principal, he was also being Iron Man. Uh, and this Iron Man, the turd, as my four-year-old would say, the third. Um, there's a scene where um, Iron Man is trying to save the president from a plane hijacking. Do you remember this scene? Anybody remember this scene? Uh, the, the baddies have taken over a plane, and they seem to be after the president. As soon as Iron Man shows up, they blow the door, and people are sucked out of the plane, okay? And at maybe 40,000 feet or so. And so Iron Man flies out of the plane and quickly consults with Jarvis, his artificial intelligence that he designed, of course, because he's brilliant, and says, how many are in the air? And he hears 13. How many can I carry? Four. And so uh, the math's not good. Um, and he dies after the closest one, this frantic, screaming woman named Heather. And he grabs her and says, listen to me. I'm going to swing by, and you're going to grab that guy. And she's incredulous. She's like, what? And she's still screaming hysterically. And, uh, and they do it. They, they swing by and grab the guy, and as soon as she grabs him, he, he electrifies her hand so she can't let go. And, uh, and he sort of coaches them through it, all 13. He's like, okay, remember that game, Bear of Monkeys? Let's go get our monkeys. Everyone grab their monkey. And slowly they pick up person after person as they get closer to the ground. There's one guy left, and, and they get him too, right before impact. Uh, he calls him the, uh, the chubby monkey. And uh, in the end, it's a beautiful scene, man. It's really exciting. Every last one of them saved at the very last second. And it's beautiful, and it's exciting, and it's celebratory. I mean, the scene ends with everybody in the water cheering. Because not only were they saved, but they did it together. And that's a beautiful picture of what Jesus is out to do. Not just connect us to himself, but connect us to one another. It really is. And some of you are thinking, like, okay, that's a bit of an extreme example. Are you saying college is like falling out of an airplane? (laughs) 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 And uh, my young friends, sometimes it is. It really is. Sometimes it is. You think you're hitting there. And you have an estimated time of arrival. Friends, I don't know where you're going to be in four years, three, or even in May. I don't know. I don't know. Some of you are here in your fifth year here, and you're like, I was never going to be here for five years. Uh, I'm glad you're here. God's got you here for a reason. And, uh, you know, for some of you, there will be a week or a month or a semester, maybe even a year, where you feel like you're falling, out of control. Like, I'm, I'm, for the first time in my life, I'm out of control, I don't know where I'm going, and I'm not, I'm not sure I'm going to make it. I mean, some of you know, experientially, what that feels like. You've had it here. And uh, I really do hope that's not your experience. But for some of you, it certainly has been. And here's what I want you to know. It's that Jesus is coming after you. You're not just falling alone. He's coming after you. He's left the security of heaven above, and he's coming after you. And when he gets you, he's not going to let you go. He's not going to let you go. And he's going to work to connect you to others. 
And it'll be beautiful, friends. This is what Jesus is after, to connect you to himself and to others. It's remarkable. It's beautiful. It's, it's what I want for you. It's what Jesus wants for you. And uh, I think we're going to see that it's the beginning of a really beautiful life, a life of joy. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, we pray you would be kind to draw near. Draw near to uh, those here that believe you, that uh, are a little fearful, that uh, maybe feel a little distant from you or distracted, maybe feel a little out of control. And uh, that's normal. This is a new, weird place. It would be weird to feel normal if you just dropped in here for the first time. Would you, would you calm them? Would you comfort them? Would you remind them that you love them deeply, that they are yours, that you care for them, that you'll never let them go? And would you be kind to connect them to people that really care for them well? Lord, I pray for those that uh, were kind enough to drop in tonight who could honestly say and might honestly tell us, I don't know what I think about any of these things. Somebody just invited me. Uh, if you're real, Jesus, and if you're good, would you show yourself to them? And would you help us to care for them? We ask all these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Hey, in a moment, we're going to sing our last song, and then Andrew's going to pray for us. But.